Welcome listeners to Conversations in Code. Uh, this is a new podcast that um, uh, myself, Michael Eames and my mate Cam Barton just thought we'd try a hand at. Campbell's um, uh, previously of uh, the Blender podcast fame and I'm previously <laughs> of no fame whatsoever. I don't know about fame, um, but okay, I did do a podcast before. <laughs> So that's that's Cam um, <laughs> chiming in there. Um, we, uh, um, yeah, we we've been mates from sort of way back when, and um, we're both uh, into geeky things, and uh, we often have uh, long, meandering, and wide-ranging conversations with each other about that sort of thing. And um, we thought it might be might potentially be interesting to some some other people out there so we thought we'd um, have a go at recording some of those conversations um, and publishing them as a as a podcast um, so hopefully um, it will be of interest to people key areas that we are thinking of covering uh, in the podcast uh, sort of along the lines of um, um, tech tech related stuff tools that we're using or that we find interesting um, as well as uh, hardware, uh, sort of touch on stuff to do with uh, uh, coding, um, but also um, the, the tools used um, for for that. Um, interested in sort of going over uh, stuff to do with, just in general, with uh, stuff in the Linux and open source space, um, which is something that we're both quite interested in and I'd say probably passionate about. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of podcasts already in this field, so we don't want to sort of repeat things that other people are saying. So we'd like to do some more deep dives into topics and, um, yeah, yeah. you know, not focus so much on the news. Even if it comes up from time to time, we might cover a few things, but, yeah, not not uh, focus sort of on covering all the news in the last, you know, however long. Yeah, the news side of things, we feel like it's pretty well covered already and, you know, there, there might be news things that come up incidentally in the conversation, but that's probably not the focus for us um, uh, from the outset. Um, I mean, other things, uh, you know, just sort of going over, you know, projects that we're working on. Um, we're interested in looking at doing some, some interviews if if we can get some interesting people lined up um, for that. Um, we're both keen on the idea and, and apart from that, you know, we'd be keen to get a bit of feedback on um, you know, sort of thoughts in response to, you know, the conversations that we have and um, what other people's perspectives are and respond to some of that feedback on the show and sort of go through it in more detail. Um, yeah, is there anything else, Cam? Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I think we can just get on with it. Very good. Let's do it. So what have you been up to lately, Cam? Oh, on the general life stuff side, I've been doing uh, planting some trees. I've got some fruit trees and uh, it's a bit of a wasteland out the front and back at the moment. So um, we've moved in not long ago and yeah, just thought we'd uh, have some fruit trees would be nice. And um, Very good. What else? Unpacking and stuff continues. So we spent time doing that. On the tech side... Um, just recently, we had a code cleanup day, which we have once a month, and I spent some time to write a utility that 
um, basically can go through an entire code base, um, making changes, double checking those changes actually are compiled, as in they're not like if I'm running on a different operating system or something, and that checks they don't change the uh, the binary output of the of the executable because you can make some small changes that seem harmless enough but may cause some kind of overflow or slight change to the type promotions between, you know, order of operations or whatever. So I could I could see that that would be very useful. Yeah, so it's kind of fun because you can just make any edit you want and just say, hey, here's like thousands and thousands of small things to change that might be more readable or they might, um, yeah, they might just be more desirable for whatever reason. You might have a decide to change the code style. Mm making absolutely mm. no no changes to the output. Yeah, and I suppose we, if that's all up and working correctly, then you'd have a bit more confidence to make some much more wholesale changes if, if required. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to change one of the changes, um, which was, I suppose I can go into it a little bit, it was to make every variable const that doesn't change. I'm not 100% sure that's always desirable, but... You can see in C++ you can declare variables as const, and I just thought as a, as a test, why not just declare everything mm. as const, and then it can complain when it can't be const because it's assigned later on, and um, we just ignore those ones. And um, the size of the patch is, crikey, it's really big. Um, it's the size of the patch, so I suppose <laughs> I, if I'm going to count the lines changed, well, it's 62,000 line patch. You have to take wow, quite that's- a... That's a fair effort. Quite a bit out because of the context, and I guess I could grep, look for the plus character at the start of the line. But anyway, it's a big patch. It's not necessary mm. to say exactly how big. It's just a lot of lines changed. Um, mm. Yeah, mm. so I'm going to be a bit careful before committing that, even even though it's it is a fairly safe commit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Well, um, for myself. Um, uh, lately, I've been doing some tree planting as well. Um, uh, my wife and I are on, and our kids are on a couple of acres, um, and we've been—I mean, we've we've been here for a few years now, and we've planted a few trees around the the uh, the borders. Um, but um, we're just doing a few more now. We're planting some tube stock, um, just some Australian native plants. Um, so yeah, that's what we've been doing lately over the weekend, at least. And how many did you plant? Uh, I think all up it was maybe 30-odd, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, I yeah. mean, like, you know, we've, we've got a couple of young kids uh, which uh, keep us, you know, you got to have eyes in the back of your head, um, especially when you're out and they're able to crawl around and <laughs> eat whatever they want. And so, it's if you're, you're a bit distracted and it's difficult to, uh, to be ultra productive, but uh, I think we did pretty well considering... Oh, nice. Yeah. And have you been up to anything tech-related? Uh, yeah. Um, lately, I've just been um, putting together a quick little bash script to. Uh, I want to. I want to have a script that I can run as a cron job um, that goes um, uses uh, curl and wget to uh, grab uh, torrents for a few um, uh, main distros. Um, that I want to have the latest uh, ISOs just on my, my hard drive just for running VMs and that sort of thing. Um, so I've, I've just started with that. I've, I'm sort of starting off with the uh, the Arch Linux ISO 
um, and I'm just wanting to have it so that it uh, just automatically grabs the, the latest release um, and then saves a copy of it as, you know, um, Arch Latest somewhere so that the, the name of the latest release doesn't change at all. So I can, uh, I can have um, virtual machines that uh, reference that ISO um, and I can keep sort of re reinstalling them as much as I want and I don't need to worry about the uh, the name changing because of the the release um, number in the name yeah um, so yeah just sort of setting all that and you're looking at doing some kind of automated system uh, like setup where it like installs yeah. the system and automatically sets all the packages and all that yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the end game with all that stuff is, uh, which of which that's just a, a small element. Is um, I'm wanting to have the ability to um, reproduce, um, you know, my my current build and configs for, you know, my main machine and my laptop and my um, a couple of other virtual machines that I use. Um, just wanting to be able to. Um, sort of whenever I want, just blow them away and rebuild them from scratch and have them all set up and running the way I like them. So, but that's that's a long long time away. Yeah, I've never really wanted wanted to do that, and I'm not sure why. I'm just thinking mm. about why. I think it's because mm. I just usually install the system and then, you know, check out my config on the system, and there isn't that much more to do. I'll just if I notice something's missing, I'll install it, and it doesn't really take that long. It's like an afternoon. Mm. Maybe, yeah. and I'm not really installing my computer from scratch very often anyway. So, like, the ability to do it would be cool, yeah. but I don't actually need to do it that much. So, I don't haven't bothered spending the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about um, trying to, I guess, thinking I, I want to try and put a bit more work in at the front end and hopefully it's just easier to maintain down the track. But, um, but I mean, all of that sort of stuff is maybe a a bit of a uh, a an expert segue into our our topic for today um we uh we thought that we'd um uh, for for our maiden episode we'd uh cover the the concept of uh configurations as a topic just uh, for all sorts of machines and situations um, just what our thoughts are about uh, the philosophy and um, and our approaches so Cam, when I uh, mentioned that idea of configuration what springs to mind immediately for you well I kind of go through two there's two main thoughts about that and that's just like my own configuration that I mentioned before I have on source control or having git actually and um there's that, just like my config files. And there's then there's like from a developer's perspective, like making a configurable program or, you know, choosing how uh, how to configure something. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's interesting for me because from my perspective, I'm, I'm just a user. Um, that's, that's the only perspective I have as far as configuration goes. Um, but for you, you're, you're a developer. Um, uh, in terms of your career um would when you're thinking about this sort of stuff would would you say that you think about it in um in developer terms first or um or is the sort of consideration from being a user um uh, that perspective is that pretty important to you as well uh 
I guess it is. I mean, they're just different things. They're just really different. So it's like if you're solving a problem and the problem ends up being you have to make something more configurable than it has been or change how it is configured, it's like it's a whole... um. It's something that users will have to buy into. You'll have to document it potentially. And, um, you know, you might have to support it and think of uh, like forward and backward compatibility and all sorts of stuff. So like it's just, okay, that's a, that's a problem that you're faced with. And maybe a solution is to tweak the configurability of something. Whereas, you know, with your own configuration, it's more just, I mean, it's like everyone else. You just have a bunch of config files and you tweak them as you need. Um, so yeah, I think about them pretty separately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and you were saying you, I mean, it sounds like you generally, uh, use, uh, Git to manage all of your configuration stuff. Is that how it works? Yeah. 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 I think you do too. So, or you use something else yeah, actually, yeah. but maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I guess uh, kits are probably probably a um, an obvious choice. Um, I mean, it, I mean, some sort of version control system, although maybe that's contentious whether that's necessary all the time or not. But um, I, I suppose as far as Git goes, um, it, that's very good for you know configurations that are you know purely uh, purely text based. Um, um and and i suppose um as with any version control system uh you you have the advantage of uh having a recorded history of of everything you've done you have the ability to go back to any points um for reference or to pull pull out code that you might be looking for uh that you might have gotten rid of after the fact um do you, do you think that's important as far as uh, configuration um, uh, stuff goes? Hmm, I'd probably say no, except that I can remember in the recent past having gone back and looked at things that, in my configuration. So it's it's just an added extra, I suppose. It's nice to be able to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have that ability uh, if you ever have the need. And it might not be that it happens very frequently, but... Um, certainly as far as Git goes, there's not really much overhead in having that there. So um, yeah. might as well. Yeah, yeah. By the way, just a curiosity, how long have you been uh, putting your source or config files in Git? So looking at my uh, Git commits, earliest commit is October 2018. So, I mean, like I've, I've only been using Linux on, on all my machines sort of since... Uh, uh, early 2017 um, and I think uh, that sort of commit time would would have been around the time that I started to really try to put in a bit of effort to uh, get to know Git and understand it really. What about you? Yeah, um, mine goes back to 2013, so mm. around seven years. Um, I mean, it's not like a competition or anything. I just thought it might be <laughs> curious just to see how long we've been doing it. And I've got yeah, over yeah. one thousand five hundred commits. It, it seems like with with a version control system, particularly Git, it just seems like it's pretty much all just upsides. Um, is there any sort of you know concerns about um, effective management of configs using Git? 
Mm, I mean, if you were doing maybe just a config manager, I don't know if you do, you might have something a little different to Git. Um, probably the main downsides are like possible accidents, like sharing passwords. I've never had any accidents or even close calls in that regard, just because I've just, I've just been careful. Like you're just aware that it could happen. So you're always quite careful mm. not to. Um, yeah. Another downside is that it only works well with plain text. Git doesn't, well, Git can store binary files. It's not great for binary files. Um, like for example, if you have a, you know, a binary file that changes, you know, a one megabyte file that changes every time, it'll be every change is a, I think it's pretty much that every change is a complete copy. Yeah. I was just going to ask, is it, as far as you're aware, is there many situations in configs where you'd have binary files in, in those configs or? Not really. No. Mm. Well, hang on. I mean, it just depends. Like if I was going to try and commit my entire home directory and I cared about mm. I yeah. know, like certain other files being in there that, trying to think even like say my firefox directory mm. um minus any saved private information i'm sure that would include some binary files yeah that's actually a good point uh, i think f from what i've read online it seems like a lot of people uh uh tend to go down the path of using a, a bare repo to um uh, to version control their home directory which is very different to what i've done um and, so and I, I think this I think this comes to one of the downsides that I didn't mention that I have come a cropper. Yeah. And that is I I have a, a like a alias or whatever to git clean, which just mm. removes all files that aren't part of the uh the git repository and it's mm. useful to remove like, you know, cache or any mm. you know, any patches or merge conflicts or whatever. Yeah. And I accidentally ran that in my home directory. <laughs> um and so I deleted like my SSH keys and Everything. I mean, I had a backup and stuff, so it wasn't yeah, really that yeah. bad. And it was it's for those sort of reasons that I I went down the path that I went down in terms of how I managed my configs. But um, we can sort of get into it if we have time. But um, it's basically just setting it up in a way where I'm just managing the actual config files that I care about. Um, I'm not I'm not um, tracking anything else in my home directory or anything like that. Yeah, so you have a setup so you don't actually have the Git repository in your home directory. No, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, that I, sense, seems pretty sensible. I should do that. Yeah, I mean, like, it works for me. I'm just not sure if it's just because of the weird way my brain works, but I, um, yeah, it works well for me. Um, and um, if, if anyone's wondering, I use uh, GNU Stow um, to uh, basically, uh, it's a... a um, package that allows you to um, automatically uh, create a bunch of symlinks um, in in your target uh, directory for all of the um, all of the files in your um, in your repository um, that you're wanting to to mirror. Um, so the actual files are in in the separate repo, but yeah, they're all symlinked to wherever you want, um, being the home directory in my my case. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that seems reasonable. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I guess the downside of the clean thing is it's not that bad if you back up reasonably often. And I've actually just come to think of it. I've made the cleaning utility. It prints a list of files and asks, are you sure you want to clean them? 
Mm. Um, because that can even be useful if you might have yeah. a, a local patch or something that you that you forgot that you should have put somewhere other than the source code directory. So it's nice to get a list, and then yeah. you know if yeah. unless you're going to just press yes and hit enter without looking at that list, um, it's not too likely that I'll blow away my home directory that isn't in Git again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, just a configuration in a general sense, it can be a bit of a rabbit hole sometimes. Um, you sort of, uh, you think of the, the people that, you know, um, manage their configs in a way where, you know, they don't want to waste time on it. They, it's just about getting stuff done. Um, and it's, you know, it's all about being functional and only the bare minimum of, of what's required. And then you've got the other people that, um, that like to tinker and, uh, they can never let anything just sit. They, they can sort of never be satisfied with configuration as it is. There's always something new to try or something new to fiddle with. Um, yeah, that's, that's the funny thing about those people. Um, is they seem to not be satisfied with anything. It's like they'll tweak things. I mean, this is, I don't know any personally, I, I think, so maybe I should be careful what I say about such people. Um, they seem to have time to post on Reddit and uh, <laughs> and they tweak their configs and mess around a bit. And I mean, if it's like entertainment for them, like watching TV as an alternative to watching TV or something, I mean, fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, yeah. I'm a bit, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like you could use your time more productively and, yeah. and not like tweak things quite so much. Yeah, and I think um, for, for the people that uh, uh, are just uh, restless and always wanting to make changes, um, you know, the, it can um, it can be one or two reasons why they are that way and one, one reason is because they have a they're they're sort of chasing an illusion that there's you know, some sort of um end game setup that's going to work perfectly for them and every time something new comes along they realize uh oh, my end game quote unquote is is actually different to what i was originally thinking i've got to chase this new thing and and go go down that rabbit hole and then um for, for the other the other lot that still are constantly wanting to tweak and fiddle and change it's like you say it can just be because they just enjoy spending their time um you know tinkering which is yeah you know which is fine there's nothing wrong with that yeah and i mm. mess around sometimes and enjoy twiddling with things but i i guess or you know changing settings and all that but yeah, i guess usually i try and get something working to the point where i'm happy with it and then just don't touch it it's similar for me that there's sort of key things that I want to get up and running at certain times and I'm sort of desperate to uh, uh, get uh, get it all all together and functioning sort of um, to a minimum acceptable level um, so that I can get on with the next thing because there's just, um, you know, in the, in the Linux and open source world, there's just so much stuff to discover and play with and I don't want to get sort of too tied down with any particular thing. So anytime I want to try some new approach to, uh, you know, getting the outcome or the solution that I want, I, I just want to quickly 
try and get get something in place and get it working as as, a, as well enough, and then and then move on. But um, my concern with that is, you know, I'm leaving behind this trail of configuration stuff that I never get back to reviewing or, or tweaking further, um, and I'm worried that that's introducing a bit of technical debt in um, in my configs that. Yeah, I'm going to forget about how it all fits together and it's going to become too complex. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in, like I was saying before, trying to set up all of this um, automated um, sort of system provisioning stuff and that sort of thing, because wherever I can, I try and find solutions where I can sort of con- uh, combine all of the the all of the conceptual stuff in in one place so that i don't have all of these different ideas sitting in all these different places on my system um that i don't always remember are there and and to to bring to mind at the you know at the right moment and um so something like you know using um ansible to um to run off config scripts and that sort of thing it's it's that's useful because it's all in in one spot it's i've got got one repo that's got all of these these ansible configs and um rather than sort of doing you know my own separate scripts to you know set up sim links to different areas or um sort of manually set up the repos that i like to have running in my um, project directories and that sort of thing it's all in a config file that i can version control and i can remember where everything is and how it all fits together basically i don't know if that makes sense or not uh, kind of um i haven't used ansible though although i know roughly what it is is isn't that more for like uh operating system level config yeah i mean like it's um it's it's quite powerful you can use it for lots of different things but it can do everything from um, installing packages to um, creating cron jobs or setting up um, systemd um, uh, services. Um, it can create sim links. It can create files. Um, it can manage uh, Git repos, um, all sorts of stuff. So Okay, so it can basically do everything, but it's... I think it is the aim usually more on operating system levels. So it's something that you could run on a system after installing it to set it up exactly how you want. Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, that's right. That's that's the key idea. And I mean, I, I want it for that reason uh, because I want to be able to, you know, if 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 I have some significant issue with my current production system, um, I want to be able to. You know, just blow it away and you know run run the script and have everything up and running again quickly but the other thing is you know i've got my main machine i've got my uh, laptop um i've got my wife's machine which is a uh, an imac um and i've got um my for example my android phone which i've got termux installed on which um it's um I think it's like a like a busy box um, environment, um, but it's it's it uses uh, a wrapper around apt for packages and that sort of thing. But um, I want to be able to I want to my my setup to for, for certain key things to be exactly the same on all of those machines, um, so I don't sort of find it too jarring to move from one to the other or forget how things were set up individually on those different machines so using ansible um, i can 
I can have like the one set of configs that um, that have these common um, roles. They're called roles in, in Ansible, but these common sort of um, sort of modules of configuration that I apply to all of the machines at a base level and then there's sort of certain more tailored configs on top of that that get applied to individual machines or individual hosts and you know so on so do you think yeah. this, is, this is something that like linux slash unix geeks should get into or is it just that you've specifically chosen to take an interest in well I don't, this I, one I, I don't area can, of uh <laughs> well no i don't think i can really say you know linux users users should uh, get into this because I don't know everyone's use case. Uh, um, and, yeah, and but I'm you, know, still... you know when you start doing something and you didn't know it was possible and then you find out, aha, I can do all yeah. these you know, things automatically. Yeah. There's this thinking like, oh, maybe everyone should be doing this. It would be so much easier if only I'd known this earlier. Well, yeah, I mean, um, it... You get that feeling sometimes and yeah. is, is that the feeling that you yeah. get with this or is it more like I have this specific problem that I'd like to solve? No. It no, works th- for me, but I don't know if everyone else would find it useful. No, I think, um, I think you know, there'd be a lot of general, you know, for, for a lot of use cases it would be useful. Um, and, and I know for myself... Uh, it would have been nice if I had been aware of some of these options earlier on, um, but like for, for something like Ansible, I, I would have said, um, you know, it's 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 very useful. And, and I mean, like I should preface this by saying that, you know, all of my Ansible Ansible config stuff is still very much a work in progress, and um, you know, I'm not even halfway there, so. Yeah, my, I change, might change my tune by the time I get everything set up the way I think I'd like it, but it, it might turn out to be not as satisf- satisfactory as I was expecting. But um, you know, it's I'm I'm pretty happy with it so far. But I mean that that said, um, y- you know, it would have been useful for me to be aware of these sort of options earlier on. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily say that. You know, users that are new to all of this sort of stuff should get straight into Ansible. Um, I think it's probably good to have, uh, you know, a, a decent sort of background understanding of quote unquote first principles type stuff. Um, uh, like, you know, I've I spent a lot of time trying to familiarize myself with Bash and Bash scripting, and I was using Bash, Bash scripts to manage a lot of the sort of stuff that I'm trying to translate to my Ansible configs um, and and that experience from doing all that stuff via bash scripts I think is still still valuable it helps me to make the most of the utility of, of Ansible you know if that makes sense yeah when I mean, couldn't you reuse quite a lot of it with just minor changes um, yeah yeah I mean yeah I can and, and I have done with with a lot of it a, a lot of it is um, uh, configuration stuff that I was planning to set up by creating scripts for those specific purposes like bash scripts um, but it was all in the too hard basket and I was going to get to it later on but with Ansible um, it's much more straightforward because um, it, it's it's already it's already got the functionality to be able to do the sort of tasks that I was wanting to do that I was going to I was planning to try and write tailored scripts to, to do um, and I guess um, Ansible is sort of one part of 
a lot of a lot of uh, um, software that I've been um, getting into recently, where I'm trying to f- trying to focus on being careful about you know not immediately jumping to into creating my own script to to do some particular task because um, there's probably a fair likelihood that there's actually already a, a software package available to pretty much do the, the task that I was wanting to do and I shouldn't be wasting my time on uh, doing my own scripts when um, if there is something else available that can already do you know what I was what I was looking to do um, so Ansible sort of fits into that category very much um, that that's a big one um, I mean something else that I've been using recently is um, uh, ledger and h ledger for um, command line uh, accounting work and um, I was originally planning on just doing all of my own scripts to manage wow. CSV files and all that wow. sort of thing and 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 I mean I, I thought, guess you could well you know and and with that I I'd gotten to the point where I'd saved a file and I had my you know um, you know what, what do you call the Hash bang or whatever the, the the line at the start and shebang. I was, shebang sorry, yeah. <laughs> I guess hash bangs. <laughs> well, what you, not yeah, so incorrect. You know what yeah. I mean? yeah, yeah. But I, I had that written. I was about to start coding, but then I thought maybe I should just quickly check if there's other things that <laughs> do something similar. And that's how I came across all that stuff. And it's just like, yeah, it's it's it saved it's saved me years of you know wasting time on that sort of thing. So. Um, that that's a big part of config stuff for me is well yeah config stuff but also just general sysadmin stuff for personal uses um making sure that you check whether there's something already available that can um achieve the task that you're looking to do yeah i mean where where i come afoul of that kind of principle is often you want to do something very small and uh specific and you think, ah, I'll just do it myself. It's going to be so simple. And it is. But then you need to do one or two more extra things. And then it gradually grows. And then you have to <laughs> sort of like take a step back and say, okay, probably something else does it better than what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that's... yeah. Because at some point like, hey, you know, I'm maintaining software. Do I want to be maintaining this software for a thing that probably I don't really want to be spending too much time on? Yeah. And especially if it's something that you're thinking you might want to you know publish and make available for the benefit of others you don't want to be you don't want to end up maintaining something that um that's already a um and you know an accomplished task somewhere else like it's just you know useless duplication of effort if, if you're doing that you know yeah i mean it can be a bit frustrating in the opposite direction too though because sometimes you just want to do something very small and you'll ask, you know, on Stack Exchange or wherever, and they'll say, oh, well, you should do it this way, and they'll point you to some project. And it's not really like, no, I actually want to just do it myself. I don't want to pull in, you know, so many hundred megabytes of dependencies just to do this one thing. I just want to... <laughs> it should be able to be done in a few lines of code. Let's see if it's possible. So it, it, can, go, it can go both ways. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... In that sort of situation, do you uh, do you have that sort of reaction to those sort of comments on Stack Exchange uh, because you're because you're turning up your your nose at the idea of 
of having unnecessary bloat and that sort of thing, or is it? Well, is yeah, I'd have to get more specific. For... It probably would be unnecessary bloat. It might just be. It might be for some, like just as a simple, like a pretend example, like if I want to do something with time and I only need to do this calculation as a part of a tool that otherwise doesn't care much about time and someone will link me to their, their time library or something that manages all sorts of time and it syncs with online mm. clocks and you can do all sorts of fancy things. Yeah. It knows about leap years and stuff and it's all good, but maybe I just care about, I just want to, do a few simple operations on time and it's way overkill. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that's really satisfactory, but it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, you know, and it might be also be that this tool might be included with, you know, it might be bundled in Blender or something because a lot of the work I do in Python is also in Blender and I might not want to pull in that package yeah. plus its dependencies, however many, however big they are. Just yeah. because of this one line of code where I need to do one calculation. It's just yeah. not yeah. a trade-off I want to make. Yeah, I'll no, just write a few lines of code and, instead of having the dependency. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's a good example. It's actually, it may not be the best example because I think Python has a pretty good built-in time library now. It's gotten <laughs> quite good. So, But it, it's that kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, you, you know, you, you talk about... Um, uh, uh, doing something like that in, in Python and using uh, pull, pulling in whatever libraries you need to be able to achieve that end. But um, if it's something really with really simple with time or dates, you know, it might be something that um, you know um, going to you know core utils or something similar are going to be sufficient for you know. Yeah, but it doesn't run on Windows, and Blender runs on Windows. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Yeah, because I'm thinking. Yeah, it's, just, it's it's coming from a different place, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause it, so if yeah, you get into the specifics, so it gets a bit tricky. But um, yeah, and, and as yeah. I say, Python's time library is quite good. So. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that idea of of uh, avoiding bloat and um and all all that sort of thing. It, it um that might be that might be more of an important consideration when you're talking about um, maintaining, you know, the code base for um, for some particular software. It's maybe a different thing if you're talking about um, system administration stuff. Um, yeah, it, it gets a bit different. And it's not yeah. just bloat. You're also depending on someone else's code and depending on them maintaining it properly. Yeah. And if their code's like non-trivial, they might also have other, you know, third-party dependencies that they pull in and, it gets, it can get a bit, uh, you can get into dependency hell just by mm. wanting to do one or two operations. And at some point you can just say, look, this is not reasonable. I, yeah. I just want to, this, this one problem that I want to solve in isolation isn't actually that complicated. You know, let's just yeah, do yeah. it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So something that I thought was worth mentioning was the idea of uh, config bankruptcy, which I saw posted online recently. Um, as it happens on the Emacs Reddit where someone had made their configuration file so complex that they just had given up and wanted to start all over again. That sounds like something that's very unique to Emacs. I think it is. Well, at least I think it's unique to configurations which are written in a programming language. Yeah. Because yeah. there's not really any limit to how complicated you can make things in that case. Mm. 
Um, I wouldn't say it's limited to Emacs though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I found that interesting. And um, and I was thinking like, is that the fault of the user? Like, uh, is that is that the, the user just taking on kind of pulling in packages that don't exactly know what they do and then things don't work properly? And then they just have to throw their hands in the air and say, okay, I'm starting again. So what I'm getting at is, is it is it just an incorrect approach that causes or, this? Or is it an incorrect approach from the the software project perspective? Are they Is, is there too many options? Is, uh, is the configurability too, too wide, too vast? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be, I mean, it, can, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both, but... Mm, yeah. yeah, it made me think. Like, is it the the fault of the um, of the application to provide? I don't know if "fault"s the right term, but it's like the co- it caused by an application that kind of encourages people to to really um, have a lot of control. Is too much configurability a bug? Is that what you're saying? <sighs> well, I mean, it's the way I see it. It's more of a design choice, mm. and um, that's. It sort of comes down to like, who you sort of have to start asking sort of boring uh, marketing style questions like, who are your target audience and you know, mm. what problems are you trying to solve and you sort of have to break it down. Mm. Um, Run some focus groups. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's not like it's not like a good or a bad thing, but it's just a there are pros and cons and you have to weigh them up in each case. But yeah. for, I guess from that, should we move on to sort of more the developer side of things? Because I had a yeah, few ideas. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so so one of the um, things that I've I've noticed is that a lot of people uh, will talk about good defaults. Like, every you should just have good defaults and um, kind of with the assumption that that should be an obvious thing that if you, you know, if you pick the good ones, you know, everyone gets the the best version of the product and if you pick the bad ones which evidently many applications do um you know that's just bad for the users bad for the project and if only the developers would listen uh things would be better (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean is it so are you saying your 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 questions around uh what what type of config options the developers expose to the user? Well, I guess, hmm. I mean, I was mentioning like defaults, good defaults being a... Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, being a... So you have a whole lot of options. So the idea is like you can make things as configurable as you want, hmm. but then you just pick good defaults and hmm. um, then users are generally happy because they have all this power under the hood, but... Um, as they get things or but without tweaking anything, it just does what they want. Hmm. And that's, I don't really disagree with that, but I think it's not really the full story of, of how things tend to work over time. So, so one of the tricky things with, um, with good defaults or having maintaining good defaults is what often happens is you'll start, you'll start some software and you'll make it work a certain way. You'll just, you know, you'll, program it however you think it should work and then later on someone suggests to add an option and you're like your answer might be oh well i don't know maybe some people won't like this or it might break someone's workflow 
And they say, yeah, but you know, you should add it as an option and people don't have to turn it on. So you add it as an option and then some time passes and then people say, well, why isn't that option default? Because, um, you know, this is how everyone wants it to work. And, uh, you know, this is silly that this, the way you would want it to work happens to be turned off by default. And then you're faced with this problem because quite a lot of projects uh, pride themselves on not breaking the user experience and um, mm, yeah. yeah, not, you know, you keep not breaking people's workflows. And if, if it's a command line tool, you'll have scripts set up, you know, that might depend on certain behavior. So I think this, I mean, you know, with command line tools, maybe you could argue that it's a, it's a separate matter. But even in terms of a, a graphical tool, there's still tutorials and documentation. Um, so you still do break, uh, well, tutorials particularly, you know, even like YouTube videos, tutorials are very popular. So if you decide to make some change that may seem like it's not a huge win, you know, it might not be the difference between being an unusable or not. You've got to think like, do I want to make this change? And then people's tutorials suddenly don't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and people's, you know, muscle memory or just generally what they expect. Some people do get confused if you move things from one place to another. They might legitimately like not know where it is and, you know, complain mm. and report bugs. That the, the menu items suddenly disappeared and what the heck is going on. So, mm. yeah, it's not, you don't really just want to uh, be flippant with these kinds of changes. So is the solution to that just avoiding having the config options available in the first place? Well, in this particular case, which I'm being a bit fuzzy about, I have to say, but <laughs> I don't think it really helps because if you if you don't have the option, I guess you just change it for everyone and they don't have the option either way. Hmm. What, what I'm getting at more though is, is whether something's configurable or not. Um, making like something do the right thing by default or be good by default. It's not, I think it's not quite as simple as people make out or as, you know, um, other podcasters, because we both listen to sort of other tech podcasts. Mm, yeah. I've heard them be frustrated with the defaults. Mm. I guess the other thing too is it's not obvious what the good defaults are. Like people often assume that well, they know what the good defaults are. Well, yeah, you can only talk about what the good defaults are for you, you know, like Sure, it's and it can... It can all be very subjective and you can say, oh, well, who's to say what they are? And, you know, it can all get very relative and, mm. you know, like you can just be very, um, you know, who's to say what's more usable, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But I think that people that claim to know what the good defaults are or claim to uh, have an idea in their head of what everyone else would use, like they might only be right half the time, mm. you know, because they're also they've also got their own workflows and they've got their own biases that they might not realize. Hmm. And so they should also be a little more humble before they kind of tell the developers that, you know, they're idiots for making it work this way. They should also recognize that they've got their own perspective that, that has biases. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, I guess everyone is really just looking out for number one in terms of, um, you know, wanting to make sure that they they can, you know, have the workflow that they most prefer um, and that they can scratch all of their own itches. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's looking out for themselves necessarily. It's just that they've only got their own experience to go by. Yeah, 
Generally speaking, I guess you yeah. could say teachers yeah. or people who, you know, run an IT business might have other people's experiences too. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, yeah. A lot of, yeah, most users wouldn't have as much sort of general user focus as obviously a, a developer needs to. So they wouldn't have that same level of an awareness of those sort of concerns, I suppose. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it gets more into like soft, like product design or software design, but you know, it may be that both use cases are valid and changing the default's not the right answer and you need to add two tools or you need to, mm. you know, split things up some other way other than the defaults. But, mm. you know, if, if, if changing a default really breaks someone's workflow, maybe you have to make bigger changes other than, mm. you know, the, yeah. the default configuration. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tricky because there's, you know, there's a few particular software projects like that that, you know, really seem to, it seems to be more of a, a struggle for because they're so... Um, their feature set is so large um, and and they have so much, you know, power um, available and there's so many different, uh, there's so many users that, that um, use those software platforms. But, you know, because there's so many different users, they, they all have their different use cases and different requirements. Um, I guess, you know, I've, I always... It's not always the, the the right answer, but I do appreciate the you know the Unix philosophy of do one thing and do it well and trying to focus on you know I guess modularity and keeping thing making things to be a, a you know a set of small sharp tools. Um, I mean, like one one example I think of is um, the uh, um, uh, the alacrity. Um, terminal um, which they starting out it's a relatively recent um, uh, project but um, when they were starting out they didn't even have um, a scroll back buffer <laughs> which which was by design because you know you know the reason I don't use alacrity is because they have a scroll back buffer and it's yeah, because well, it's because of all that bloat that they've added well, that I'm just my attitude is like I'm just going to use ST. Come on, yeah, it's T max and ST, and I'm good. Yeah, I don't need any yeah, of this yeah. bloat. Well, I uh, yeah, I, I like. I think they have configuration it's... files too, and I was yes, like, yeah, right. no way, yeah, just the suckless files, all the way. Yeah. Compile a header file for you know change the header, and I'm done. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, I. I I've dabbled in, uh, dabbled with the simple terminal, and it's. I, I like the idea, but it just seems a little bit too masochistic for me. But um, yeah, but, I have to yeah. say, I wouldn't use suckless tools. Like, I think that's the only yeah. suckless tool that I use. I well, have looked yeah, at some of their other ones, and they're all right. But I, yeah, I wouldn't use them day to day. Yeah. See, there are certain <clears throat> smaller, simpler suckless tools. <laughs> tools that i am more interested in but but yeah i mean with with alacrity i, I do use that and that's mainly because um it makes the the most it's um it's one of the i don't know if there's any others but it's one of the few at least uh, uh gpu accelerated terminals out there and you know all the gray beards say you know why do you need GP, gpu acceleration for a terminal sort of thing but it's i, I just you know, you spend all your time in the terminal and it's nice to, you know, 
you know, make a bit more of the system resources for that purpose. But, I mean, all that aside, um, um, with Alacrity, when they were starting out, they didn't they didn't have a scroll back buffer, and that was by design. And they're, they're, I've had a look through the um, the uh, like the um, the bug history and that sort of thing, and um, you know their responses to the initial bugs raised about that was a scroll back buffer is not necessary when you have tmux, you know, um, and I I liked I liked that approach, but you know the the pressure the user pressure became too great after a while, and they ended up adding that as yeah, you, you can you say it's bloated. They they have added a few things, but um, it's just because they um, they had so much pressure for it. But um, but they they started out with that sort of approach, you know, and um, and and I I like that approach, but obviously not all users are satisfied with that, you know, which is why they've changed. Yeah, I think that kind of approach works well if there's a lot of alternatives. Yes. So it's yeah. like if if you're talking about an application like uh, LibreOffice or Blender or or um, Krita or you know some large applications, hmm. like you can't just say, yeah, oh, "I'm going to make not... this massive image editor that can do painting and has its brush engine," but I'm going to yeah. make this really strict design choice. Well, okay, you can do anything you want. So yeah, yeah, but there's but, not, but not as it, much competition in those spaces. Yeah, because yeah. you might be the only for for yeah. users from the user perspective, mm. you might be one of the only good options. Um, yeah, in that area, or the only good open source options, I should say. Yeah, which so, which means yeah, yeah. So it means you've, there's sort of a more of an onus on the project to actually support the general user and the general use case. Yeah. Whereas if yeah. you're you know, one of many different software projects, yeah. you can uh, differentiate yourself in a more strict fashion that uh, that yeah. excludes people. And that you know, you should just say, "Well, go and use uh, this. Isn't for you? Go and use the alternative." Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, yeah. That's right. For those sort of, um, yeah, for those situations where there's more, there's more alternatives. Like you say, they, um, you know, the the ability to um, I guess exclusivity about you know how they their their design philosophy and what sort of options they have and that sort of thing is actually a feature in those sort of situations where whereas for those large projects where there's not really any competition for that particular um, that particular offering um, it necessarily means that they're going to have a lot more users that. Uh, depending on them comparatively so there's a lot more mouths to feed as it were in terms of um, different um, user requirements so it means that the you know the so-called default you know standard user is a much more complex um, concept I suppose yeah and it means well it means it's a little more of a uh exclusionary uh statement to kind of say well don't use us then you know if you don't yeah. like it go away you know if if it's um yeah. and it's a shame and it's it, it actually makes things a little difficult because say for blender we have some users who do more cad style uh modeling yeah yeah and blender doesn't really support that very well at all yeah yeah and but the but the alternatives <laughs> in that sort of space aren't as strong well yeah. 
I think it's more that there are not very many, I have to be careful what I say, there aren't many open source 3D packages that do 3D modeling and also have CAD features, mm. sort of NURBS and, uh, well, there's a whole lot of CAD features. But, um, and mm. so people, they can kind of, they can get away with using Blender. Maybe it's not the best, but it's good enough. Mm. But then they're using something which isn't very good in practice mm. and then they can for, you know they might complain about stuff yeah sorry for their purpose for their yeah. purpose yeah and so but you do have to say at some point well we're not a cad program so if you want to do mm. cad go elsewhere now i should yeah. mention there are other open source cad packages so that's why i have to mm. um, yeah, speak yeah. a bit carefully it's just um sometimes people want to have sort of a modeling experience where you can uh sort of do mesh modeling but also mm. have some CAD type features as well. Yeah, 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 understand. Well, I think that covers it for the defaults side of things. Um, I suspect this ends up being more of a software design issue and the whole configuration aspect of it isn't so important. Mm. Um, but I thought it was worth mentioning anyway. Um, a few other things I noticed when sort of in the software development side though is um, like new developers tend to expose many options so when you're first writing software, uh, I've noticed this particularly with people who develop uh, like plugins or add-ons, is they'll expose lots and lots of buttons because I think it is like every button is like a feature and you want to have lots of features in your software. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's all right. I mean, it's like a part of learning and, you know, I remember early on um, when I first started developing things I made like an array generator where it just got an object and copied it and repeated that because I needed that for some of the, the 3D work I was doing. And, um, you know, it wasn't too long before I'd made it sort of randomize each permutation and then branch off and then skin surfaces between things. And it wasn't, you know, then I was like having trees and then I was thinking of putting leaves on the ends of the branches and, you know, so... <laughs> And then I had like this Boeing dashboard of buttons, like it was just fully, <laughs> you know, yeah, fully configurable. Yeah. So yeah. you can see how this happens. And it's, it's, I don't know, I don't want to like talk down to people who find themselves going through this, but yeah, you realize like it's, it's kind of infinite. Like you can make things infinitely yeah. configurable if you want. But adding all these options... Uh, has quite a few downsides. I mean, firstly, the users can be overwhelmed. Are they, do they have to understand which options are important, which should they care about, etc.? Mm. Uh, and for development, um, you can just have many combinations of options, which can be a problem with maintainability. Um, and it's tricky because at every moment, like whenever you add an option, you might think to yourself, "Okay, this is, uh, you know, this isn't going to make things too difficult." It just ends up often being the case that long term it does. <laughs> that that there ends up being, you know, you can combine certain options in a in a way that gives an unexpected result, even when you looked ahead and you thought, Yeah, this is this seems like it should be able to work. Yeah, I mean, do you sort of have situations where um where you you might add certain options that result in um um, combinations that you weren't expecting that certain users might end up 
um, requiring in their workflow, whereas to, to your mind it's not something that you were originally aiming for and it's not uh, functionality that you're wanting to pursue or maintain, but now you've got users that have become sort of reliant on it? or uh, Yeah, I mean, one example that comes to mind is um, Blender's uh, viewport controls. So you can um, you can zoom just to the center of the screen or you can zoom to the mouse position. You can orbit around um, the selected object or you can orbit around just the, the, the viewport center and you can, um, there's a few other things. You can also um, zoom or um, navigate around the thing under the mouse cursor. So it means you can like zoom in and if you have like a, a building a kilometer away you can just like zoom into the exact building and be mm. you know at that window that was that that was the pixel under your mouse cursor yeah, which yeah. is quite handy but users don't always want this because sometimes they just want to click and zoom in and not worry about whether there was a a butterfly under their mouse cursor or whether there was a cloud and you know the slight difference might make a huge dif- a huge difference to the outcome of their uh, cursor drag so mm. you don't always mm. want to have to care when you're zooming in and out where yeah. your mouse is anyway so you know these options all work together generally speaking but sometimes you know a user will say well hang on I'm using a 3D mouse which is like a fancy device that you can grab and spin in different directions and um, I have the orbit around object center turned on, but I've got the 3D mouse, and when I orbit, it only orbits around the view center. And it's like, maybe you want to support that feature there or not, or, you know, do you want to actually look at what's under the cursor, under the mouse cursor, when you're using the 3D mouse? It's, like, debatable if you'd want to support that. Hmm. Because then you're sort of having to hold this 3D mouse and a regular mouse and wiggle them around at the same, like... You know, mm. I'm not sure yeah, we yeah. actually want to support that, but I think someone reported that as a bug. So that's mm. that's an example. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just... Re- re- I said it like a twit. Um, <laughs> you are. But I have some memory of users reporting this is an issue or something very similar if it wasn't that exact issue mm, yeah, so yeah this yeah. kind of thing does happen is that mm, is that a a, a a configuration issue or I think so because you've got multiple configuration options and then users have an expectation of how those will work together yeah. yep. so roughly speaking I think it's mm. say it again so, yeah, I think that's a configuration issue. Mm. I mean, you could just say, like, zooming under the mouse cursor is the best default behavior always. Why even have an option? You know, that some software might do that. Yeah, but, I mean, um, is, is it, does it just come down to, um, you know, working out um, – what the expected default is for the majority number of users is that is it as simple as that and and um for for the users that that have a different preference for a default of that particular setting um but they're more in the minority that's just you know too too bad sort of thing or yeah i think 
you could say that's the case uh, with one caveat and that is that if your focus is to be like for blender we want to be an animation tool mm. you might have um more people doing say mesh modeling than animation or modeling static scenes and so you might have to say well we want to focus on animation rather than say level modeling and you know uh you might pick make decisions based on that even mm. though you might by the numbers have more users that do say level design is are you is that sort of uh using the configuration uh options to sort of control um you can control your your preferred user base or 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 to sort of direct um the user base in a direction that you think is most appropriate for the software or yeah i think so yeah 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 if you want to be if you want to be say the best tool in a certain area you might have to say to the users who happen to use the software for something else look you're you're not our number one priority yeah (laughs) which isn't a nice thing to say to people so you might you know say to them like look we we value you as a user base but our focus is on this area We'll make what you want supported, but we're not going to make it the default. Yeah, yeah. Which, Which I think is pretty uh, reasonable. I mean, yeah, that, that sounds fair enough to me. There you go, Mike's seal of approval. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't have to look at some of the, the threads that get very, very opinionated <laughs> about these kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. So back to the configuration or configurability side of things, Um, I find there's a bias towards making things tweakable because someone somewhere will need it. Um, Mm. And even when you you kind of state like, look, this is, you know, kind of obscure, sometimes they can show you like with pictures and examples, like this is why it's really important for me. And it's hard hard to say no because you look at that exact workflow and it's like, okay, I can see you need an option for this, you know. Mm. Um, And so there's sort of a bias to say yes to some of these things. Um, just because you can see that they're not making things up or they're not being silly. Although more recently mm. I've tended to say like, if at all possible, like maybe you need an add-on or you need some plugin mm. to um, to do those specific set of, of steps. I mean, if that's a, if that's a reasonable answer to, to their problem. Mm. Yeah. Is, is there a willingness to, I mean, you, you say that you're, your sort of type of responses changed more recently, but historically, um, has the the willingness to um, the, the willingness to you know add config um, op- options for sort of very particular uh, user requirements. Um, has there been an appetite for that because you're wanting to have a reputation as being a um, you know, uh, 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 like an open sort of project, uh, open to sort of helping everyone out, or what, what's, the, huh. what's the thinking there? Yeah, I mean, it's not so much about the reputation. It's more that people will ask for all sorts of features, and so you want them to be able to back up their request with some real-world example because sometimes these things aren't actually very difficult to add. You know, mm. it might even be like like trivial to add like if you wanted to do it you would do it in five minutes or whatever but the, yeah. so the issue isn't whether you're spending development time on it it's more like 
is this even worth adding because it's like an extra feature to support? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, it might be trivial to add, but there's you know more work in maintaining. And sure, sure, but so, so but, if it was just but, like if it was just like one person in the world that required this this thing, if if they could justify um, that they did indeed need it, um, is you know what's what's the approach, the response to that? I mean, if it's literally one person, you might. I don't know. I mean, that's like metaphorical. If it's literally one person, mm. you might say, "Look, here's a patch." Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you might need to compile compile Blend yourself He's and, and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's literally the one person, but if it's more like fairly obscure, yeah. Um, yeah. There are times when you sort of want to say, "Look, you're doing something that I can see for what you're doing. This option's useful, but it's not that common a use case, and I'd rather this be done as a as some sort of a plugin or mm. you know scripted somehow yeah yeah so yeah maybe we could just finish off by talking about the different approaches to uh configuring and the, and how it works in different software yeah yeah so i mean like there's obviously uh, a number of different approaches to how configuration is achieved in in software um one of those is yeah, basically to, to have no configuration options or, or very minimal options available. Um, I mean, like, and I guess the um, argument in those cases, particularly for open source software, is um, if, if the configuration options that are, are available are very limited or if there's no, no options at all, I guess the argument is, well, it's open source software. The source code is available. Uh, you're always free to go through that soft source code and um, make any changes for any additional features or functionality you require and, and compile it yourself. Um, yeah, but that doesn't apply, I think, to most software. Like, I don't think mm. most users who, even if they're technical, like they get a, a package from their package manager and then they say, hey, this works really poorly. Yeah, yeah. And they contact the project and the project says, oh, look, compile it from source. I think yeah. you'd have to have a, have a pretty specific use case for someone to say that, um, unless it's the suckless project. Yeah. Um, maybe we should just, we could mention them later. So there's a <laughs> there's yeah, a project yeah, sure, that... Sure. Uh, that the source code is, is like actually considered to be like configuration, but it's it's oh, a little different their approach. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, but is there any other similar examples to to Suckless? Like, is I'm I'm just struggling to think of many examples where there is no configuration options, basically. Well, um, Firefox, you can't configure the key shortcuts, as far as I know, at least not by default, and I think mm. that's pretty limiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm. Used to most sort of uh, full featured applications to have a configurable key map editor. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose um, I'm. I mean, like in terms of um, being able to alter uh, configuration for Firefox in particular around those sort of areas. Um, yeah, you know, what one other option when you're talking about different approaches to configuration is uh, using like an add-ons or or plugin system, um, and that's you know what a lot of config um, 
that's how a lot of config for Firefox is is done for particular use cases. Um, I mean, like yeah, I'm a, not I'm not that familiar with how Firefox's internals. Well, I'm not at all familiar with how their internals work. Mm. But as far as I can tell, there'll be sort of add-ons to do things that might be configuration options in other software. Well, yeah, I mean, like you talk about key short, shortcuts, and I I use um, the Vim Vixen. Um, add-on for Firefox to give you some limited um, sort of Vim type key bindings. Um, okay. I've, yeah. yeah, I haven't used that. I Yeah, I tried using, well, it's going off topic. I tried using a Vim web browser mm. before, but it, I don't know, it didn't really stick for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, I guess the other thing I think of for, in terms of the approach of using add-ons or plugins, the other thing that um, comes to mind for me is uh, the GNOME desktop. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't use GNOME on my main machine, but I've got uh, Fedora Workstation on my laptop, um, so I've got, um, I have s- uh, some basic familiarity with it, but I don't really feel the need to. Uh, change a lot of the configura- basic configuration for GNOME. Um, but I know, you know, from, from podcasts I listen to, I know that a lot of people out there like to make a lot of changes to GNOME configuration and that's most of that is only exposed through, you know, GNOME tweaks and add-ons and that sort of thing. Um, but that seems to be a bit of a vexed issue for, for GNOME. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what your thoughts are about sort of cam that that approach of using add-ons or plugins i think it's hmm i mean generally i think it's it's actually pretty good hmm. because yeah. with the with the configuration you might want some features or even if they're small features and it means the main project doesn't have to maintain a really large set of um different configuration options yeah, and I could see how that um, that method of of dealing with uh, configuration requirements would be uh, probably be um, a better option from a, a developer. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of puts the responsibility on the maintainers of the um, yeah of the add-ons too. So for the user, the user experience could be worse in some cases because you know mm. maybe they use they depend on some extension and then the maintainer loses interest. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, it's broken or something. Yeah. For a period yeah. of time until someone else picks it up or fixes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's always, like, necessarily a good option. It's just, uh, it just it might scale better, basically. Yeah. But that's more yeah. for features. I mean, for configuration, it's a bit tricky. Uh, yeah, for fe- for features, it works, you know, the whole plugin yeah. model can work yeah, quite well, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for configuration, it's a bit odd. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably uh, more fraught for for using that for configuration rather than um, features. Um, I mean, like you know, we, we mentioned uh, Emacs earlier, and yeah, I mean the the thing with Emacs is it uses uh, is it Lisp or Elisp? Um, yeah, Elisp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the <clears throat> the method of configuration for Emacs is is a language rather than you know, um, uh, basic config files. So, and it sort of comes back to that idea of, you know, the danger of configuration bankruptcy and that sort of thing. Um, it's, 
I get the impression that it makes conf- it can make configuration or maintaining configuration much more complex if um, if that's achieved through uh, using an actual language for that configuration. Yeah, I mean, just to be, uh, you know, if if some Emacs developer was listening, they might t- take issue with what we've just said. I mean, mm. you can configure Emacs pretty well just as if it's um, any other uh, application that doesn't use a language. There's a whole lot of variables and you set them and you get mm. a sort of, you get the expected behavior based mm. on having changed all those variables. So you, you can not write any code besides just setting the variables mm. and you know, you've got a fairly configurable text editor still. Mm. Um, the thing that we, the thing that's different with Emacs is the um, configuration bleeds into sort of more uh, extensive modification to the behavior. So mm. even though you might think, oh yeah, I'm just editing a configuration file, you might end up writing functions that keys call mm. and only run in certain modes, and yeah, yeah. you know it, it starts to get it starts to get gradually more complex, and it, there's no bright line between the more sort of extensive stuff and, and the simpler configuration. Yeah, sure, sure. And that can get very, very complex. But you could even make the argument that, that that it's not configuration. By the time you're writing functions, you're not actually configuring it. You're, you're writing code that you have to mm. maintain. Mm. And if you're writing code, then you should think about code maintainability issues. And mm. people who have configuration bankruptcy just aren't very good at maintaining their own code. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean... And that's and that's sort of uh, similar to that idea of uh, rather than having external configuration files, editing source code to um, to do configuration. Uh, you in both cases you're dealing with a language to achieve your configuration ends. Um, I mean, we mentioned Suckless earlier. Um, I, I don't know if you'd put it differently, Cam, but my understanding of Suckless is uh, it's a, a, a sort of a developer collective um, that puts out a, sort of a, a, a limited set of um, open source tools um, and they have a very strongly opinionated philosophy about how they do um, how they do the, the code for their for their tools and um, how how those tools should be used and, and maintained. I'm not sure if you'd put it any differently or not. I would just add that they they prioritize minimalism mm. and not having bloat. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting because even though that seems uh, quite extreme at first, you kind of if 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 those tools that they write, um are sufficient for your needs, you end up with extremely fast, bug-free um, software that does exactly what you want. And in the event that you need to change something, it might be a very small patch on that on that software. Mm. So it's it's once you start getting into modifying the source to get it to do what you want, it's sort of moving into a different territory, I think. Mm. But mm. It, it isn't necessarily as... Uh, is, I don't know how to say it exactly, but it's not necessarily as hard or difficult as I'm making out because there are like listings of patches for some of the suckless tools. So there'll be, 
a bunch of popular patches. So even mm. if you're not a developer, you could use one of the suckler tools and pull in, say, two or three um, of the of the popular patches, which add features that you you just happen to need, and you yeah, still yeah. have very minimal. Like it's a bit less minimal, but it's still very minimal software with with just a few additions that you need. Yeah, um, it's sort of hard to justify today because all sort of low memory requirements, for example, mm. aren't usually as much of an issue. But the being bug free, or mm. you know. Uh, very close to being bug-free, depending on how you define bugs. Um, that's I personally see that as being more of a draw card. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, um, it's not really a concern from a, a, a resource um, perspective, but um, I always got the impression that the, the main concern was um, really around having an approach that... Um, tight control of the direction of of the code and and avoid avoided feature creep um and sort of kept the um the 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 projects as focused as possible um to to make sure that they remain as effective as possible for those you know particular requirements and and like you say you've got lots of different patches that um different people have um have provided for um for those for those bits of software and um you can basically just go through and handpick whatever features you'd like to add to your particular version and it's just a matter of um applying those patches and then compiling there's no there's no coding that the um that the the user needs to do to be able to uh, set them up um but it's um but the you know the the suckless ideal I suppose is still achieved of, you know, the the core um, software remaining as um, as terse and as minimal as possible. Yeah, yeah. So even if you're using Sackler software and not interested in applying patches or you know adding features, it does mean that even if you want to, for example, change the default font for the ST terminal. Um, you have to edit a source file, mm. but you know it's it's just a bit of text in a header, and you can edit that and recompile. Um, mm. But that does sort of raise the bar of or raise the barrier of entry quite a bit, uh, as far as regular users are concerned. Mm. So I think you know that's kind of <laughs> the suckless project is sort of on their own in a way regarding the configurability. That's quite unusual that you'd have to recompile from source. Mm. Um, to, to, to change a configuration option. Hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do it, but uh, I also had to spend a bit of time to set up a, a script to, to download the latest um, suckless tools from Git and update them and apply some minor changes and then install them. It's a bit of a hassle, I suppose. Yeah, I would have rather <laughs> I didn't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And from my perspective, it's, yeah, um it just seems to be like more trouble than it's worth. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. My, my use case is probably Yeah, different. it's one of those things that once you've got the script set up, it's not that hard. That's the advantage of Suckless too. I mean, they don't change very often. It's not like they're going through big yeah. rewrites and stuff. So I'm not yeah. worried about what I have set up breaking. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's po- possible to still have have stability um, 
without needing to to be quite as extreme about it as yeah um, as they are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it just happens that the suckless terminal happens through everything I want, and yeah, I quite yeah. like it. So yeah. I I, oh, I bother to compile it from a source. But yeah, yeah. Uh, for most other things, I, I wouldn't. Mm. Yeah. So I think we'll uh, leave it at that. I think we've sort of covered off the um, the key things that we're uh, we're interested in exploring. Um, if you're interested in um, following up with us, uh, you had any comments about what we've been over, uh, any suggestions or other communication that you want to send on to us, uh, feel free to uh, send us an email uh, to to the address uh, conversations in code one word at gmail dot com. Um, and um, otherwise, we'll be sort of uh, looking to set things up over the over the next little while. I'm not exactly sure how much we'll have in place by the time we publish this uh, this episode, this first episode. But um, yeah, the uh, the email is probably the the main way to communicate with us at this stage. So, hope you enjoyed your time with us, and um, yeah, we look forward to. Uh, putting down more conversations and uh, getting in out there and seeing what uh, what people think. So, Cam, thanks for your time with that and um, look forward to speaking with you next time. Okay, catch you later.